Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I'm here with Dawn, Katie, and Lindy. And at Storytellers Live, our prayer is that you would meet God in a new way through these stories, that you would know that you're not alone, and that walls would be broken down and community would be built. Today's story is Amy. Well, Amy comes to us from our community group in Auburn, Alabama, and I'm just going to tell you, are you ready to get close to Jesus this Easter week? Because Amy's story talks so much about God being trustworthy, that he is faithful, and that most importantly, our joy is found in Jesus and not our circumstances. So we titled this one, Tell Them Who I Am, and I think you're going to see why pretty soon into her story. And one thing I think that you'll really get out of Amy's story is how she talks about God as her father and how she really trusts him and really means it. So listen for that as you're listening to this story. And here's Amy. I grew up in Alexander City, Alabama. I am the oldest of three girls. And when I was growing up, my sisters and I used to sit and dream about what life would be like when we were grown. And we spent lots of time um, just talking, playing baby dolls, playing house, and just dreaming about our future. And I was probably the biggest daydreamer of us all. Um, I loved to sit and just dream about um, that tall, handsome man I was going to marry. And I would dream about all the kids that I would have, um, all the boys, all the girls, what their names were going to be. I would dream about um, the house that I would live in and the car that I would drive and all the fabulous clothes I would wear. And um, But however, in all of my dreaming, never did I ever dream that I would have found out at 18 years old, a freshman in college, that I was pregnant. And at 18 years old, freshman in college, my then boyfriend and I decided to get married and we had a very, very difficult marriage. He was very mentally and emotionally abusive. He had numerous affairs. And after three years of marriage, he decided that he would rather be married to his girlfriend instead of his wife. And we divorced. So at the ripe old age of 21, I was divorced with a two-year-old. And uh, prior to my marriage, I Felt like I was a very confident and secure young woman. However, after the divorce, I was as broken and insecure as could possibly be. Growing up in a Christian home, I knew enough truth to know where to run. And so with all that I was, I ran hard and fast to Jesus. And I remember um, I was working a full-time job at this time. And um, I would go on my lunch hour and I would sit in my car on my lunch hour and I would listen to this integrity worship cassette tape. Kind of tells y'all when this took place. Uh, Listen to this uh, cassette tape. And the song that I would listen to over and over again, the words were, You are the God that healeth me. You are the Lord my healer. You sent your word and healed my disease. You are the Lord my healer. And I'd listen to this song over and over again. And I would say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can heal my heart. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can heal my mind. Lord, if you can heal cancer, you can heal my heart. And Lord, I would just go to him just over and over, day after day. And I would say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to ever restore 
trust again. Because in my mind, I would I would think, Lord, I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to trust a man again. My husband had um, professed to be a Christian. In fact, y'all, the very first date we ever had was to church. Um, this is the same time period that um, Jimmy Swaggart, I don't know if y'all remember Jimmy Swaggart, but Jimmy Swaggart was a very well-known television evangelist, and he had also had some major moral failures. And I remember at that time just thinking, you know, if, if Jimmy Swaggart does this, how am I ever going to trust a man again? And little by little, just month after month, piece by piece, the Lord just began just to restore my heart and restore my mind. And three years after my divorce, I met the most wonderful, godly, most beautiful man on the earth, Jerry Smith. And he had two precious little girls from his first marriage. And so we dated for about a little over a year and um, decided to get married. And so with his two little girls and my son, we blended the most perfect blended family that's ever existed. And um, after a few years of, of marriage, we decided that we would have a baby together. So we had a little boy. And then very soon after that, we had another little boy. And then very soon after that, we had another little boy. And so all of my hopes and dreams of being a stay-at-home mom and wife and mom, that's all I'd ever wanted to do, were all coming true. And so at this time, we lived in um, Pike Road, Alabama, right outside of Montgomery. And uh, Jerry was transferred to Atlanta, Georgia. And so actually, our youngest son was born right after we moved to Atlanta. And actually, when I say right after we moved to Atlanta, I mean like literally right after we moved to Atlanta, we moved to our house. And seven days later, I delivered our youngest child. So I am in a new house in a new city with a newborn baby and a one and a half year old and a three year old and an 11 year old son who's playing sports and an 11 year old daughter who's playing sports and a 13-year-old daughter who's playing sports, and a husband who travels all the time. And I have just been diagnosed with postpartum thyroiditis, which means your thyroid is hyper one day and hypo the next. So needless to say, I was nothing but a big old ball of crazy. (laughs) I was just about at the end. And just all that together was kind of the perfect storm for me just to really start heading into just a place of depression. It did not take long, just a couple of months of all this before I was really headed on a very slippery slope fast into this pit of of depression. And I remember on one afternoon, and y'all, I I mean, it was so, it was so bad at that time that things that seemed so ridiculous in my mind, they were truth. Like, I remember just um, whining. One day, in fact, I was coming back from um, the grocery store. I'm driving my little minivan. I've got my three babies in the back, and I'm whining to the Lord. I'm just complaining. I'm saying, Lord, I am never going to learn how to drive in Atlanta. I will never know how to find my way around. And I was complaining and whining and saying, Nobody in Atlanta likes me. I'm never going to have any friends. And Jerry probably doesn't even love me anymore because all he wants to do is work. I mean, just crazy stuff. But in my mind, it was the absolute truth. I was just in such a dark place. And one afternoon, I was headed back from the grocery with my boys. And um, while I'm whining these, these statements to the Lord, I felt like that the Lord whispered something to my heart 
that was life-changing for me. And while I'm driving in the road, whining, the Lord speaks to my heart and says, if your circumstances never change, will you still praise me? And at that moment, that was such a profound statement that it's almost like I felt like I had been kind of jerked up by a knot. And so I I remember tears welled up in my eyes and I said, I I was driving, but I I lifted one of my hands off the steering wheel and I said, Lord, if my circumstances never change, I will still praise you. And when I spoke those words, it was as if a just a layer of a veil lifted off my eyes. And all of a sudden I realized that I had a spirit of depression that was on me. And I said, in the name of Jesus, a spirit of depression better get off me right this second. And when I spoke those words, it was as if this the rest of this veil was completely lifted off my eyes. And everything that I had believed to be truth, all of a sudden I saw it for the lie that it was. And it was just like one just a, a one counter off after the next of, you know, was I ever going to learn to drive in Atlanta? Absolutely. Dumb people drive in Atlanta. <laughs> if dumb people can drive in Atlanta, I can drive in Atlanta. You know, was I not ever going to have friends in Atlanta? Of course not. You know, my thing was, you know, nobody likes me. Well, 8 million people did not know me. That. I I knew no one. You know, did Jerry want to work all the time? Absolutely not. He was trying to provide for a wife and six kids. That was the truth. So everything that I had believed to be the truth, all of a sudden it was just just one after the other, just revealed as to really what it was. And it was such a profound, life-changing moment for me that I went home that afternoon, and in my Bible, the very back of my Bible, I wrote the statement, completely surrendered to the Lord. And I wrote the date and I wrote the statement, I have joy in my life because of Jesus, not because of my circumstances. Little did I know that the Lord would use that truth in my life a few years down the road. So I moved forward a couple of years and in July of 2005, we had an opportunity to move to Auburn and um, we jumped at it because Atlanta was fun, but Atlanta was not the easiest place to live. And so we moved to Auburn in July of 2005, and we felt like we moved into the most fantastic cul-de-sac on the planet. And we had instant friends, and we were instantly welcomed into um, a local church and Sunday school class. And I remember telling somebody that Jerry and I socialized more in one summer than we had the entire time we lived in Atlanta. <laughs> and we were just loving life, living large. It was fabulous. And not that we didn't have any issues, because we certainly did. Life was not perfect, but it was good. So jump a little bit further to January of 2009. So we had lived in Auburn for about four years. And um, January of 2009 started off for me with the most incredible bang. That's the only word I can think of. It was just like a bang out of nowhere that was just just incredible. The very first thing that happened that I can recall in January of 2009 was one afternoon, I'm sitting at home and I'm making my grocery list, getting ready to head to the grocery. And while I'm making my grocery list, I felt like that the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to buy somebody's groceries today. And I remember thinking, well, that's real sweet, but 
you know. Okay. So I head off to the grocery. Really just thought that was a sweet thought. You know, I'm just kind of, I kind of let it go with that. That was a sweet thought. I probably made that up. <laughs> but anyway, so I get to the grocery and I don't know about y'all, but I, when I'm at the grocery, like I'm on a mission, like I ain't there to play. I am, it is business. I am on a mission. And so I am focused. I am filling my cart up and in and out. And, and that's my trip to the grocery. And so I started off and, you know, and I also, I have to go down every aisle because I've got a big family where every aisle, the buggy's going to be full when I'm checking out. So I start off and um, get about halfway through the grocery and I pass this little elderly gray-headed lady and she's just standing there and she's staring at a grocery shelf. And as I pass her, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, that's her. I want you to buy her groceries. And I remember thinking, now, Lord, how's this going to work? Like, am I supposed to follow her around the store? I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm willing. So you just work the details out. So I finished my shopping. So, and I've got a full buggy. So it's taken me a minute, you know, to, to do all this. And so my goal also is to always find the shortest checkout line. I am um, finishing my shop and I'm, I'm coming down. I'm headed to checkout. And so I'm searching for what line appears to be the shortest. And so I whip my full buggy into that checkout line. And there right in front of me stands that little old gray-headed lady. And when I saw her, I just, like it just took my breath away. I thought, I cannot believe that here stands this little lady. And she only had like eight items. So all my shopping, I mean, the Lord worked out the detail that was just perfect. So I, I see her and I'm just, I can't believe it. And so I finally composed myself and I walk up to her and I said, um, ma'am, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but God told me to buy your groceries. And she looks up at me and tears start rolling down her face. And she said, I'm buying this ham to take to my church, and I really don't even have the money to do this. So y'all, she's crying, I'm crying, the checkout lady's crying, like we all, we are all crying in Kroger. And um, so I remember leaving there thinking, like I felt like I was on cloud nine. You know, I just could not imagine a God moment being any sweeter than that. It was just precious. So you would think that was the highlight. Well, y'all, January of 2009 just kept getting better and better and better. It was like things like that were just happening. I felt like almost on a daily basis of just God literally just blowing my mind with what he was doing. And I remember um, I started doing something randomly that I'd never done before. I found myself just randomly throughout my day saying to, to the Lord, Lord, I trust you. And it was just, it would be just crazy times during the day. You know, I might be, I might at work and I would just look up and say, Lord, I trust you or cooking supper or carpool or, you know, just all just throughout my day, multiple times a day, randomly throughout my day, I would say, Lord, I trust you. In fact, one time, y'all, this is so funny. I dumped a load of towels out on the couch and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm folding towels and I said, Lord, you know I trust you. And I looked up and I winked. And I thought, oh, dear Jesus, I just winked at God. I mean, I, you know, oh, Lord. So, but I just felt like that Jesus and I were like tight. Like I just felt like we were so close because he had just been blowing my mind 
just all of January of 2009. So headed into the end of January, towards the end of January, I was serving with a women's ministry team at the church that we were attending. And we held these monthly lunches that we called brown bag lunches. And we would plan our calendar months in advance, and we would have guest speakers to come in and talk to the ladies in the community. And the guest speaker that we had planned for the month of February's name was Ginger Plowman. And so towards the end of January of 2009, one Sunday morning, I'm in the shower getting ready for church. And I don't think that I was in a real prayerful prayerful mode. I think I was really just hurrying to bathe to get ready for church because we were always late. And uh, so anyway, I'm in the shower, getting ready and bathing, and the Lord speaks to my heart and says, Ginger Plowman's going to cancel speaking at Brown Bag, and I want you to speak. And I said, and y'all, I'm bathing. I'm like washing my hair and shaving my legs. And I said, Lord, what would I even say? And he said, tell them who I am. And I thought, okay. So I got out of the shower, and I thought, I'm not sure. Do I need to, like, call people and tell them what just happened or just hang on to this because it seems a little crazy? So I decided to hang on to it. But I could not get it off my mind on Sunday. All Sunday, I just kept thinking about this, this conversation that either I had had with God or either I had created a conversation in my head. And so Monday comes, and I'm still thinking about it, just not really sure what to do with it because it was just so real. By Tuesday, I'm I'm pretty sure that by Tuesday I had decided that that's probably something I had just created in my head. Wednesday, I'm not thinking about it. Thursday, I'm sitting at my desk at work, and I get an email from our women's ministry team, one of the ladies that's on the team with me, and the email that she sends to our whole little group says, Ginger Plowman needs to cancel speaking at Brown Bag because her brother-in-law has just been killed in a car accident. Now, this is exactly what the Lord told me five days before. And I felt like that Jesus just sat down on my desk is what I felt like. I grabbed my keys and my phone and I hurried out to my car and I called the lady that sent me the email and I told her what had happened and she's crying and I'm crying. And um, we decide that, yes, I do need to speak. And so I spent the next few days I'm preparing for this talk that I would do to these ladies at this brown bag luncheon. So the Lord had told me in the shower that morning to tell them who I am. Those were the words. And as I started praying about it, I said, you know, just as I'm piecing this all together, and I felt like that I was supposed to share with these ladies the names of God and how I knew Him in these different ways. And so He had me recall these different names of God and how I knew Him in that way. For instance, that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. How I knew him as my provider, because years before, Jerry's company that he had been with closed their doors. He lost his job. We've got four kids, and I'm a stay-at-home mom, and he's without a work for three months. Well, we knew him as Jehovah Jireh, or how I knew him as Jehovah Rapha after he healed me after a car accident when I was 16 weeks pregnant. I knew him as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, because of all these different things I had to walk through, through the years of him just being my peace. And so he had me recall just name after name of God and how I knew him in that way. So um, on February 2nd, 2009, I stand up and and, and talk to these ladies at this brown bag luncheon. And I told them all these different names of God and how I knew him in 
those different ways. I thought that the Lord was using that talk for them. I did not know that he was using it for me. Little did I know that right around the corner was something in my life that I was going to need all of those different names to be able to stand on and have readily available to to cling to. So a few weeks later, mid-February of 2009, one morning, uh, Jerry got up out of bed and his right foot is not working properly. It had worked fine. He walked fine when he went to bed that night. He got up the next morning and he can't walk right. His right foot, when he goes to lift his right foot, it's not lifting. And so I remember us talking about it and thinking, well, maybe he, you know, did something playing basketball with the kids or, you know, something like that. So after several days, it did not get any better. And so he decided to go see a doctor. Well, one doctor appointment led to the another. And after numerous appointments, it was suggested that we see a neurologist. And so we went to Montgomery and um, to see a neurologist, and they run all kind of tests. And so Jerry and I are sitting in the little room waiting on the doctor to come in. And he comes in, he sits down, and um, he sits there for a second, and he looks at us and he says, um, I have a diagnosis. He said, are y'all familiar with amniotrophic lateral sclerosis? And we said, no. And he said, well, maybe you've heard of it by another name. He said, have you ever heard of ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease? And we had. And I remember in that moment just being so devastated and in such shock that literally we didn't even have any words. I remember driving home from um, Montgomery and I remember sitting in the car holding hands in silence. We literally had no words. We were in such shock. And we got home, and Jerry went to his home office. He had an office in our house, and he, he went to the office, at, probably to Google. And I went and got in the bed. Um, honestly, in my mind, I was hoping that this was just a horrible nightmare. And so I really wanted to go get in the bed, pull the covers over my head, fall asleep, and wake up from this horrible nightmare. And so I lay down in my bed. I'm laying on my side. And as soon as I lay down, I just I just started bawling my eyes out. I mean, just that gut-wrenching, just bawling my eyes out. And I know y'all going to think this is crazy, but this happened. I literally felt hands on my face, and my face was lifted up, and the Lord spoke to me as clear as could be and said, do you trust me? And when I spoke the words and I said, Lord, I trust you, I knew that all those weeks before when I thought I was randomly saying, Lord, I trust you, that it had not been random at all and that he was speaking to my heart even though I didn't even know I was hearing him. And for the next few weeks, we, after more doctor's appointments, uh, Jerry received a positive diagnosis for Lyme disease. Uh, since there is no um, cure, there's, there's not one single thing you can do for ALS. We decided to just cling to the Lyme disease diagnosis. And so after a lot of research, we um, discovered that the best physician uh, out there was located in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, during the, the wait for Jerry to be able to get to Kansas City, he is declining, and he's declining rapidly. In July of 2009, he went to Kansas City, and um, he actually... It was determined that he needed to to stay there. 
And so for five months, he lived in Kansas City, receiving daily treatments for Lyme disease. And um, everything about the disease, everything about our journey was so difficult. Um, his decline was so rapidly, um, was so rapid. It was just unbelievable how quick he was declining. I was torn to pieces because I had a husband that desperately needed me, whose health was declining daily in Kansas City, Missouri. And I had children in Auburn, Alabama, who desperately needed me because of all that was happening in our family. I had just gotten my real estate license to become a realtor about a year and a half before, which was just a God thing because I'd been a stay-at-home mom for 12 years. Um, but I needed to work because everything was so controversial with Lyme disease that the majority of our claims were not covered by insurance. Most everything was out-of-pocket pay. I was exhausted beyond exhaustion. Um, about every 10 days, I would go to Kansas City and stay with him and try to get him settled as best I could and then come back home for a few days. And I was back and forth for five months. And it was incredibly um it was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. His decline was just, it was just crazy how fast. he. The initial symptom in February of 2009 was his foot not being able to lift it properly. By June of that year, uh, he was walking with a cane. Uh, he went to Kansas City. While he was in Kansas City, he progressed to needing a walker in August. Um, he came home in November um, and was in a wheelchair. And by January, he was paralyzed. And um, during that time, I realized that I, I really had two choices. I could either live or die. And when I say die, I don't mean a physical death, but because it was just so difficult. Um, just the, the gut-wrenching watching the person that you love more than anything in the world suffer so. Just everything about the journey was so difficult. And I remember at one point opening my Bible and reading Daniel chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I remember reading this and feeling like, Lord, I feel like I'm in a furnace heated seven times hotter. Um, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that King Nebuchadnezzar erected this 90-foot image and decreed that everybody would bow down and worship it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to. And so because of that, Nebuchadnezzar was so angered that he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter and these three men bound and thrown into this furnace to die. And the Bible tells us King Nebuchadnezzar actually says, he asked the guys that are with him, didn't we throw three men into the furnace? Because I see four and the fourth looks like the son of the gods is what the Bible says. I personally believe that was Jesus. Um, so the story goes on to say, that at some point Nebuchadnezzar realizes that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are unbound. And at that point, he calls them out of the furnace and they come out. And scripture tells us that they are unbound, unharmed, not a hair on their head is singed, and they don't even smell like smoke. And I remember reading this story and thinking, Lord, I feel like I can so relate to being in a furnace that's heated seven times hotter. I feel like my whole family is in this furnace. I, I want insight to the scripture. I, I want you to speak to me through the scripture. Tell me how is this possible? How can, because you're still the God of miracles. And I need to know how this is possible that they survived this fire. And I truly believe that the Lord gave me an insight to the scripture that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized that Jesus is with them, 
that the reason Nebuchadnezzar knew they were unbound was because their hands were no longer tied together down at their waist or wherever it was, but their hands were lifted, separated, unbound. And I believe that the Lord gave me an insight to that scripture. And the insight is, is that the way you survive the furnace that's heated seven times hotter or the way that you survive the unsurvivable is worship. And not necessarily a worship song, but just that the act of taking your eyes off yourself and putting your eyes on Jesus, taking your eyes off your earthly circumstances and choosing to have an eternal perspective, that that act of worship changes everything. Even though it did not change my circumstances, it completely changed my perspective. And that is not to say that the next several months were not incredibly difficult because every single day was me going and standing in my shower, crying my eyes out and repeating truth and scripture over myself. I continually, day after day after day, when sometimes I had no words but just speaking the name of Jesus over and over and over again, and speaking scripture over myself, even when I felt like I had no strength to be able to stand in the shower and say, the joy of the Lord is my strength, or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or um, Jesus, you promised me that everything is for my good and your glory. I mean, I would just stand on scripture whether I felt like it or not, and just, Lord, I choose to worship you even though I don't feel like it right now. And every bit of that, he would just build me back up to go do a little bit more. And I'd come back and I'd have to get right back in it again. But just that worship changes everything. And it was amazing how the Lord just reminded me during that time of that truth that I learned those years before, that I have joy in my heart and in my life because of Jesus and not because of my circumstances. And as the months went on and, and Jerry just con declined more and more rapidly on February 2nd, 2011. He passed away. It is no coincidence that that is the same day two years before that God had me stand and tell those ladies at that brown bag luncheon who he was. No coincidence that one of the most spiritual highs that I've ever been on in my life that date would also be one of the hardest days of my life. But, you know, I remember after Jerry passed away and just going back to the Lord and saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do now? And he said, tell them who I am. And over the last nine years, God has been so faithful and so trustworthy. We still miss him every single day, but he has been with us every step of the way. And I distinctly remember not long after he died, just going back to him one time. And I mean, I just felt like I just sat at his feet all the time because I thought, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do, I can't do any of this. And I remember saying, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you can. Lord, I don't know how you're going to heal my heart, but I know you can. Lord, if you can heal cancer, you can heal my heart. Lord, if you can you can do all this stuff, I know you can do it again. And um, in fact, I mean, I just, I feel like that that scripture that says that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God came, Jesus came, that we would have an abundant life. That abundant life is for all of us, no matter what we've been through, if we're believers. Our circumstances don't dictate the abundant life. And I distinctly remember one time I was in my car and I remember saying, Lord, I know that I can be content. I know that you can make me content. But to me, content, I equate content to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> that is content. 
if you are starving, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich makes you content. <laughs> However, I didn't want to be content. I want my heart to be great. So I would say, God, I don't want my heart to be peanut butter and jelly. I want my heart to be a medium rare filet that you can cut with a fork. <laughs> I want my heart to be great. And so just, just time after time after time of just continually going back to him, still just speaking the name of Jesus. Because the truth is, is that everything we need, we can find in him and in him alone. And so I have learned different characteristics of him that I never thought I would know. Um, I have learned that he is the, his word tells us that he's the husband to the husbandless. And he is, he's my husband. But he's also shown me that even if or when God decides to bring us what we call our prize husband, God will always be my forever husband because earthly husbands die and earthly husbands make bad choices and earthly husbands leave, but God doesn't. He's, he's our forever husband. And his word tells us that he's our forever, he's our, he's the father of the fatherless. So he's our forever daddy because earthly daddies make bad choices and earthly daddies disappoint and our forever daddy doesn't. So no matter where you are, he can be your earthly daddy, your forever daddy, and he can be your forever husband. And so I just decided that I'm just going to, if he says that's who he is, then by golly, I'm going to believe it and cling to it and stand on it with everything that I am. Sometimes I even take it probably way too far. I tell him all the time, daddies pay for college and buy cars. <laughs> and we need college and cars. And so I just believe that that's who he is. That's what he's going to do. And so, but I have learned over the last nine years that he is completely, he is 100%. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my strength. He is my very breath. Because I cannot imagine doing what, what I've been through without him. I cannot for the life of me imagine how somebody goes through something that is so devastating without Jesus. And, you know, to say that the last nine years have been easy, it's been the opposite of easy on one hand, but on the other hand, God's been so faithful, it blows my mind. Um, you know, it's it's heartbreaking to know that Jerry did not get to walk his daughters down the aisle. It's heartbreaking that he didn't get to be the best man in our son's wedding, or that he's not getting to hold his grandbabies, or to have those daddy conversations with our boys. But I do know that God's ways are higher than mine. And I have no idea how this tapestry all works together. Because all I see is right now and right here in Auburn, Alabama in the year 2020. I have no idea how this tapestry all works together. That that event connects to that event connects to that event connects to that event. But what I do know is that he is who he says he is. And he's completely trustworthy and completely faithful. And I cannot imagine going through this without him and in a crazy, 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 crazy way to even say this. I have learned to consider this a privilege that he's allowed us to walk through it because I know that I've been able to connect with people that I would have never connected with on a level that I would have never been able to. And I know that all of us have things in our life that have just ripped our hearts out. Everybody's hurts just look a little bit different, but he 100% is trustworthy and he is who he says he is. You know, in the beginning, 
I mentioned that she talks about God as her father in such a unique and trusting way. And I think now that you've heard the story, you get it. I mean, she literally relies on him for everything and truly, truly trusts him as her father. And I think how many of us in the day, day in, day out, actually believe that and actually treat God as our father. Yeah, I I love one of the sentences she said, where everything we need, we can find in Jesus. Yeah, as and as humans, you know, we fail and we can't be perfect. But as she stated in her story, God is our forever husband and daddy. And I'm and she says, I'm just gonna claim that. I'm gonna believe it. And so um I just yeah. think we can really look to him as our constant. And she actually mm-hmm. spoke about this in her question and answer. Um, listen as she explains. My prayer all the time. And and y'all, when I say I take it too far with God's got to pay for college and and cars, I'm not exaggerating on that. I have friends in here that know that is the truth. (laughs) But I have even had the situation before where with one of my boys, um, he was 16 at the time, and he was liking this little girl that in my mind, in my words, she had a red flag flying over her head. (laughs) And so I was trying to, to... to explain that to him without, you know, offending him, but also just we were having a conversation. So he and I were sitting on the couch together, and I was trying to explain to him what it's like to be a 16-year-old boy, okay? (laughs) Now, I have sisters. I mean, I have no clue. So I'm trying to explain this to him, and I'm telling him all of, you know, these things that I feel like he needs to know. And y'all, he's precious, and he's trying to be so respectful, and he's not arguing with me, and he's not, I mean, he, he's just being precious. In fact, as I'm telling him about this and how I just don't feel like this little girl is, is there's some red flags. And as I'm telling him, I just see this little tear just roll down his face. And as respectful as he knew to do, he, we stopped the conversation, and he, he went upstairs. And I remember when he went upstairs... I remember taking my fist and slamming my fist into the couch that I was sitting on and saying, God, I cannot do this. I have no idea what it's like to be a 16-year-old boy. I have no idea what to say to him. And if you tell me you're our forever daddy, and obviously we don't need one or we would have one because you also tell me that everything I need, I have. So obviously, even though it looks like we need one, we obviously don't. So you're it. And so I need you to go talk to him. And I believe with all my heart that he's going to have ears to hear you. Thank you for doing that. All right. Bye-bye. I loved, I loved, I could picture her on her couch, beating her fist into the couch because I've been there, you know, but I love, you know, one of the things that, that I think people need to hear is that God is not this being that is just far away and can't relate. I mean, he is our forever husband and our forever daddy. And you know what? He could meet her 16-year-old son in that bedroom for her. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that with me, you know, especially as my kids have gotten older. You know, I can't go with them, but God can. And claiming that and trusting right. that. And I think, you know, even remembering to come to him for parenting strategies. Right. You know? Absolutely. Like, yes. yes. Dads pay for college. Dads pay for cars. It, you know, he shows us how to parent our kids to give us these strategies if we would just ask him yeah. and expect using an answer. prayer. Yeah, using yeah. prayer as yeah. a strategy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think we all have said there were so many different different nuggets of truth that we got from Amy's story. But I just her saying, "I don't know how you're going to heal me, 
but I know that you can, and I'm going to trust you. And I loved just this idea of going throughout your day saying, I trust you, Lord, I trust you. And I don't think it was any coincidence that when I first heard Amy's story, I was in the middle of a Bible study about the life of Joseph. And it just Mm -hmm. made me think about, I'm sure Joseph, you know, there were many years that Joseph was like, I don't know how you're going to heal me from this situation, but I trust you. And wow, did God honor that, you know, I mean, and it wasn't immediate, but he honored it. There was purpose behind the pain and there's purpose behind our pain as well. Yeah. Katie, he also, um, well, Amy, when she was talking in her story, she said, uh, that God prepared her. Like she didn't realize in, in 2009, just how much God was going to be right. going before her in the grocery store with her husband's disease, but he prepared her. And I found myself asking, okay, what is he preparing me for? As I, as I listened to her story and I saw God's faithfulness, I saw his hand and I could hear how much she trusted him. I started thinking, okay, what, what's next? Like, what is God preparing all of us for? Right. Right. And going back to the grocery store comment, you know, (laughs) people, when we train our storytellers, it's always like, give us the God moments, give us the wild and crazy things that God does for you. And when she talks about hearing him tell her to buy groceries for someone, Uh I'm like, those are the moments. Those are the moments when you can think you were making that up or you can believe God. And when you believe God and you do it and you act on those things, how he, how he shows up and how he continued to be there. And, and I love when people include in their stories, those wild, those wild God moments. Yeah. Cause he usually confirms his actions through those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And it just takes stepping out just, just the little step of faith, the little step of trust. I think that's a big challenge for all of us this week as we go into this Easter weekend of really being aware of, of, God in our surroundings. And when he is giving us that little nudge through his Holy Spirit of reaching out and doing something for someone, I don't know, for me, I'm going to take it as a challenge this weekend to really look for him and what I can do on behalf of him. It's a great idea. Yeah. And we do know that this Easter is different than any other Easter. We all know that we will not be in church this Sunday for Easter with the virus that's going on. And And I think this is a really unique time to believe God for who he is. That's right. To believe him when we sit in our homes on Easter morning and it looks really different to believe him for who he says he is. Well, thanks for listening today. Thanks for joining us. We know that y'all probably took notes. We took tons of notes listening to Amy's story just to talk about it. It was, we had pages. Um, (laughs) And so we hope that y'all really walk away with a few things that, that speak to your heart and God really, really changes your view on who he is today. And thanks for listening. We would love for you to join us online. If you want to um, join our email list at storytellerslive.org, follow us at Storytellers Live podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you would like to donate, we have a button on our website. We are a ministry and a 501c3. And so we thank you for listening today and sharing our stories and giving feedback. And right now on Facebook and Instagram, we're doing stories of hope. And we would love for you to follow along with that. And so thank you and have a great week. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.